0: I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Is the music of my guest today on the program, Casey Clifford? Let me tell you a little bit about Casey Clifford. Now, this may come as a shock to some of you out there, uh, but I am not a mother. I, uh, I'm not. I know. Uh, breaking news. There's a spoiler alert to all of this. I, uh, I am uh, not familiar with the rigors of motherhood. However, uh, I uh, was raised by a mother. And uh, I have good friends that are mothers. So I've seen firsthand that motherhood is uh, a very difficult thing uh, to undertake. It's a very, very hard thing to do. But as often is the case, as hard as motherhood is, sometimes it's even harder just to become a mother. Which brings us to Casey Clifford. The Oklahoma-born singer-songwriter had been on the scene since 2000. She had six records under her belt, and she nabbed the Woody Guthrie Award not once, not twice, but three times. So her career was in full swing and all was well, but there was something missing. Casey Clifford had always wanted to be a mother, and deep into her 30s, she realized that the universe was really going to make her work for it. Staring down infertility after years of trying to start a family, Casey and her husband decided it was time for another approach. I'm making a long story really short here, but thanks to a new fertility study and the aid of IVF, Casey is now the mother of two very cute little characters, Beatrice and Hollis. Why did I make that story so short? Well, Casey details the trials and tribulations and triumph of that whole process on her blog. Which you should definitely check out. And she talks about it in this interview as well. So I'll leave all that to her. So, the story has a happy ending, right? Well, yes, of course it does. But, once she became a mother and immersed herself in its joys, challenges, and, well, more joys, Casey wondered about her other baby. Her career. Now, there were times that she thought she was done. That she would never write a song again and that that part of her life was in the past. But then something happened. As the kids went to sleep, the artist began to awaken. And before she knew it, KC had written an album and wanted to get it recorded. So she did. Her self-titled Seventh Effort is a wondrous song cycle about motherhood, hope, love, and faith. But it's also an album that confronts doubt, desire, and where exactly the artist fits in to the family photo. From numbers like the rousing opener Music in Our Souls to the brilliant One Good Reason to the album-closing Salt, which, in my opinion, might very well be one of the best album closers of the year, Casey Clifford's new album is as much about finding out what it means to be a mother as it is finding out what it means to be an artist. And frankly, Clifford has never sounded better. Her songs are open-hearted, honest, and moving, and she writes with tenderness, generosity, And soul. And it turns out she's one of the nicest people I've ever spoken to. I love Casey Clifford, and you're going to as well. I promise. So here's my conversation with Casey Clifford. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: wondering if I should ever do it because I questioned so deeply whether I could mom well you know I mean I think mothering is such a i think it's a sacred responsibility i don't think anybody i don't think they should just let anybody do this i'm most days I'm not even sure I'm qualified um, but I think um yeah, I took it so seriously going into it, and I literally had a lot of therapy sessions where I said I, am i Am I up to this task? Can I mother well? Can I bring the best version of myself to these tiny humans and help them grow into who they're meant to be and not who I want them to be? Um, you know, all sorts of questions. And so, so yeah, I um, motherhood has definitely informed who I am, and, and here they are. And I have to tell you, Alex, I ask myself every day if I have what they need. You know right. that that's a constant question as they as they go into new seasons and you think, man, this is so hard like and I wanted to be a mother so deeply, and I you know went through a lot of things to get to that point, but i um it is all at once exhilarating and exhausting you know it's it's the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: There's that great moment in parenthood where Jason Robards in the film is talking to Tom Hulch and he says to him, the thing about being a, a parent and, and I think the character doesn't get what he's saying to him is he is he, cause he's saying you're doing this to me is that you never stop the clock. The clock never gets to stop. So you can be a great mom one minute and the next minute there's a new challenge where you go, well, I don't get any, any breather on that one. I can't do a victory lap. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It's new every morning. you
0: know.
1: <laughs> and, and, it, you know, once the think about mothering, I think, you any in parenthood in general like I don't want to leave the dads out because they you know do their share for sure but and and you're in it together with your partner no matter what gender they are but I I think that it's um you know I I remember when my kids were really like in the newborn phase and you would think oh my gosh I think I'm I think I figured this out you know and then the next day they would change like their routine or their preferences, or right. you know, so
2: kids just
0: keep you on their toes, on your toes, and it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful sacred responsibility. How do you feel if you had had children at twenty two? Oh my
1: gosh. Hot mess
0: express.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I would feel really bad for those children because I was in (laughs) no shape. I mean, oh my word. The, The universe did all of that timing on purpose. I was so ill prepared at 22. Like I look at moms who are young and you know right out of college get married and have babies and and in and, and on the one hand I think oh my gosh I kind of envy them their youth and their energy you know, and also their naivete right you know um but I yeah I was in no condition at 22 to have a baby um to mother anyone I
0: I was still trying to Figure out how to adult myself, right? And and of course, of course, if that had happened, you would have figured it out. But what do you think it is now? What skills do you think you have now that give you an advantage over the twenty-two-year-old version of you? Oh man, Um,
1: how long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) I I think um, you know, I I have a lot of um, hard-fought lessons. I think just in self-care and boundaries and toxicity in relationships versus health, you know, um, you know, shame. I've learned so much about shame. I think the 22 year old mother of me was the person who was me would, as I was so steeped in shame from my lifetime and from trauma that I would have done a lot of damage because I just wasn't healed up in certain places. Mm. And I really hadn't, um, owned my experience and taken myself to a place of healing and allowed kind of the work that I've done emotionally to, to, to run its course. And so at 22, I was just so, oh man, I had, I didn't know which way was up, you know? And so, um, I think being able to bring, well, one thing that infertility does as a mom is you realize how much of everything is small stuff you know it's just a real perspective shifter so being a 45 year old mom who I have walked with women friends of mine who have lost their children um I've walked with women friends of mine who never got to have their children you know I mean all sorts of you just have a a view it's kind of a view from from the the mountain, you know, of age as you, right. as you age, you kind of get a different perspective of the landscape of what it is to be in the human experience. And so when I, when I bring that to motherhood, I think, man, like for me, every day is a day that I, is a, is a gift because I never thought there was a, a time when I really had just laid down my um, dream of being a mom. Um, Cause I just didn't think my body was able to do it. Um, and so, so everything feels it's just a perspective shifter. It's it's. I, I look at my kids and I, I cherish really small things that I think other people might overlook because
0: they just take it for granted. And and you had that sort of existential artistic moment that I think a lot of artists go through, where, you know, you're you're up at night with your kids and you're wondering. <laughs> Who am I as an artist one? Yeah. Am, am I am I just a mom now? Like am I how do I how do I balance the two? Can I balance the two? And a lot of people who listen to this program are aspiring artists of all different yeah. mediums. And I think that that question of have I written my last poem? It was that my <laughs> last book? Was that? I think those are dilemmas we face anyway. Um yeah. and that was augmented for you by by this idea of now I'm responsible for these two characters and how did you find your artistic voice, Casey?
1: You know, um, my kids showed me a part of me I didn't know existed. And it wasn't a part of me that changed when I was a mo- like that I like took on when I became a mom. But in a lot of ways, it was the layers that I took off. Um, to get down to kind of the truest thing that was me because motherhood will cut you to the core I mean it will if you have a kid having a tantrum in front of you and you have this idea in your mind of who you are like I'm a person who believes in kindness and I'm a person who wants to call these sorts of things out in my children and I want them you know I want them to learn these lessons but then you find yourself like just at the end of yourself you're you're in the end of your patients or you know i there were all sorts of, of situations in the first few years of being a mom that took me to my therapist's office saying oh my gosh i don't think i i'm i, I don't know if i can do this i i'm gonna mess them up you know <laughs> like i mean yeah. just have the therapy fund now like you know? <laughs> forget college i'm just gonna make sure they can get a good therapist when they need one you know? <laughs> um but i think that um I feel like, for me, those nights when I was up with the kids, I'm still up with the kids. Who am I kidding? Um, my son slept for the first time over all night long last night in, like, months. My husband and I woke up, and I was like, is he breathing? Like, <laughs> and he's four, you know. Right. Like,
2: um, but I
1: um, I think those moments when mother, – motherhood is a thing that – for many women, it takes them over. And it, it, it does that, I think, for everyone for a season. It, it has to. You have no – you don't really have a lot of choices. It's like you're just immersed in it, and it's so consuming. Like, feed the baby, change the baby. Why is the baby crying? What what how, Why can't the baby talk back to me so I know what's going on? You know, like, it's so, it's so altering. But then there comes a point where I really did sit up at night, and I thought – oh my gosh, it's over. Like this is, I'm, I worked for all of those years and I put so much into it and it was so important to me. I felt like I was doing good work in the world, but I also felt like it was who I was as an artist. And and then it was like, I don't know that I could ever see a way clear from this space to know that I'll be able to do that again. And um, I think that, The answer for how that changed for me was that it just these tiny moments where you get these windows where you're allowed to create again, and then, and then they're fleeting, you know, (laughs) like, if you go after them in these small ways, they build up to this place where you finally are able to make the the season with your children changes and you find that like you don't have to watch them every single second because they're not going to eat something off the floor and die. You know, like you could be like, okay, color, I'm going to ride a minute or, you know, Um, and it was in those moments that I began to realize I could, I was going to get to go back out and do it again. Um, But I knew it would look different. And I didn't know, I I didn't want to sacrifice being a mom, the kind of mom that I wanted to be, I didn't want to be away all the time, you know, so there are still questions about what it's all going to look like if I'm honest. Um, But I, you know, I finally got to kind of move towards the the art again and it
0: just felt so good. Was the initial crisis, I don't have, I don't think I have time for this or um, I've forgotten how to do it or, or was it a, a mixture of both?
1: No, I never forgot how to do it. I love the craft of songwriting. I love words and melody and putting them together. Um, it was capacity, right? Like, uh-huh. do I have the capacity to be my artist self and my maternal self? Um, do I have the resources, both time and energy? Um, and just, you know, at the end of a day, with kids, you're just pretty tapped out. <laughs> like. Right. Um, and so, you, but for me, it began in these tiny little moments of just carving out these spaces to be able to say it was okay for me to have a life and an identity outside of them. And there's a lot of really stupid guilt and weird stuff, mommy guilt that kind of goes through most women that I know when they start to like say, no, you know, I'm going to take an afternoon away and write. And it's okay, and and their dad has got this, and we're gonna be cool, you know. And then they scream when you're leaving, and then they're fine, you know. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I could do that again next month,
2: you
1: know. <laughs> um yeah. So so yeah, I think it's um, it's it's such a process, and I I wish like I could say that there was from I went from point A to point F this way, you know. But it's so it's almost mysterious. It feels. <laughs>
0: Do you ever go back and reverse engineer and think about yourself at 25, 30, and and how prolific you were and how you just didn't even think about the idea that creative space was always going to be there?
1: Yeah, I think you definitely take it for granted. I mean, I think as a person without children, you take it for granted that free time would always be there, just independence, like just the idea that you get a minute to yourself. I mean, I can't pee in peace. You
2: know,
1: like, <laughs> like, like, you know, it's like I have company in the bathroom. All you know, it's like I can't right. even get three minutes. You know, um,
2: but
1: so, so, yeah. I wish I could go back and tell that girl how much what a gift she had of time. Um, but there is also something to be said for once you hit a rhythm in motherhood, for creating, getting, getting, creating space. But it's also you have less time. So you make the most of it. You know, it's like being on a deadline all the right. time. Like, Oh man, I've got two hours. I better write something. Like we, we got to get out of here with a song. <laughs> like, but, so I don't,
0: you know, and, but those moments I imagine, I mean, the pressure is kind of on, right. Cause it's like, you have 20 minutes, you have an hour, you know, right. You better get out of there with a song. Do you feel that kind of, uh, that pressure?
2: Um, I think I feel the
1: pressure, but I think I'm wired to do well under that kind of pressure. Oh, okay. For whatever reason. I I think that's just kind of in my makeup. Like, okay, pressure's on. Let's go. Like, I grew up in this really competitive household. (laughs) And so I think, um, you know, I I think I'm okay in those situations. You know, it's like, okay, Casey, you've got to, let's write a song. Let's do the thing. Um, And,
2: you know, this was kind
1: of... um, Is uh, an exception because I co wrote a whole bunch of it. And so I had a, you know, a collaborator on, I think eight of the songs are co written with my friend Dan Walker, and he's a, a pianist and keyboardist. And so I also had this accountability of another person in the process with me. And so it helped kind of move it along in a way that I'd never had before.
0: You always wrote by yourself.
1: Always always yeah 15 years yeah 15 plus years of always yeah 20 years I guess since I was 20 really is when I first started really seriously writing songs
0: did you and find, I'm 45 I mean in terms of collaboration did you find a that you liked it and b that you were good at collaborating you know I had dabbled
1: or tried to co-write over the years I lived in Nashville for years and then in Austin my husband is a songwriter and so We had tried to co-write, but our processes are really different. Um, And I just had never found that person who I thought was a real creative partner that way. Um, With Dan, um, he's such a fabulous pianist and keyboardist, and his taste is, it just kind of pours out his fingers. And so for me, what it allowed me, what, what this collaboration allowed me to do was, I got to step out from behind a guitar, and I just got to be a singer. And I wasn't limited by anything, strum pattern or, you know, harmonic progression. Or I wasn't limited by kind of the cumbersomeness of being an instrumentalist as well as a vocalist. Mm. I just got to kind of like come back home to that thing that I always was. Because I I consider myself a vocalist. You know, when people ask me, oh, you're a musician. I'm like, yeah, I'm a songwriter and I'm a vocalist. Like, I really love the art of singing and studied it really hardcore as a kid and up into college. And so, so getting to kind of abandon the burden of being an instrumentalist and of having kind of my focus divided, um, it has allowed me to open up a place in my voice that I have not ever allowed people to really hear in my songwriting. I think I was conformed to the ideas of genre or not being too much, you know, like, oh, you're not, who are you trying to be, trying to sing big, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it kind of diminished myself and kind of put gates on on myself, my own feeling. Um, And so with this, when Dan put his hands on the keys and I just get to sit and sing, it kind of um, harkened back to something that was what who I grew up as. And, you know, as a, an opera singer and a musical theater kid, like um, there was a place of just the singer in me who kind of was unleashed unapologetically this time that I'd never, you know, I'd never let, her, I'd never let her out. <laughs> and
2: how in captivity. How that, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how does that feel now that she's out? Um, how does that feel? That must be very satisfying
1: satisfying and so vulnerable so vulnerable you know I um it it it, it was the right thing and I when I get up to perform these songs it's like yes okay yes like it feels like I'm owning a part of um it's almost like a a musical parallel to what has happened emotionally in my life in the past eight years and so it just feels like I've kind of stepped into my power for less of a, for lack of a better, of a less woo-woo word, but like just stepping into agency over who I am and not allowing myself to be defined by a bunch of externals. So the same way to do that vocally is like to say, you know what, I don't need this record to sound like anybody else. And I don't need a radio person to put it in the genre and say, oh, I'm sorry, it's not folk enough or it's not Americana enough or it's not pop enough. Like I just wanted to sing And, um, so, but, but in doing so, it's like, I kind of opened up a bit of the secret garden of my heart. (laughs) Like, here's your, here's your most sacred space as a singer. And it's also just really exposed. Um, and so that's been challenging, but in a good way, like I'm up to the challenge, but it's also, you know, recording vocals for the first time ever was a kind of an anxious experience because I had never just let my voice go like that.
0: I see. And what about during the live shows doing the new music and the older music, that must be a little bit of like sort of emotional whiplash because they're, they're really so different now.
1: They are so different. And it's a very, um, it takes a, a really attuned set list writer, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: I've always, um, my husband laughs at me because he plays guitar with me and has for a long time. And we typically write set lists together or one of us will do kind of a draft and then we'll talk about it. He's always thinking about musical flow and I'm always thinking about emotional flow in the content. Like what kind of roller coaster am I taking my audience on with this content? Because um, my music has a lot of feelings in it and always has. Um, that hasn't changed, um, but it's kind of become more direct, I guess. But I think that now I even writing the set list for my release show, um, I I had to think about, oh, well, okay, I probably don't want to go full on Americana country in that moment, you know. <laughs> like, right. I probably just kinda of, let's keep it in this avenue right here. You know, so so I definitely have there's definitely a consideration.
2: I was born in an Oklahoma town to a daddy who dug through the oil. Turned 18 But those Red dirt roads Calling Me home And you've never Seen a sunset Till you've seen one from A red dirt road I tried Texas tennessee searching to find the right place to be where i could start living the life of my dreams just me and the soul guitar well life is funny just when i made plans the good lord brought me an oklahoma man and i kicked and i screamed and made idle demands but what's a girl in love 10 years building a life with my family near but i was the last one to find out that here was right where i belong i hit the road with the love of my life we travel the world we see all the sights but nothing compares
0: the sidelines, being a mom and learning how to be a mom, and I'm sure there was no time for you to listen to other people's music, Um, but were you also paying attention to who was doing what, or was it just too difficult to do that?
1: Um, You know, social media helps and hurts all at the same time, um, that aspect of it, because in some ways I sat kind of watching my contemporaries move on to bigger things while I sat and and fed babies <laughs> uh, and so i like oh my gosh wow you know it's like well that's what it looks like when you keep your momentum going casey you get those sorts of opportunities <laughs> yes okay right yes but then i'd look at my babies and i think i wouldn't trade this like this is what I this is a dream you know this having this family was a dream like um so, so that's part of the answer to that but i think more direct to your question i um Yeah, I think through social media, I kind of kept up and we, you know, we kept going to Kerrville. We would go to Kerrville every year. So in terms of being in the folk world, um, I feel like, you know, I still had my finger a bit on the pulse of who was up and coming and who was doing new things. Um, I've never been a big, like, trendy listener. Um, so I can't tell you much about the new Taylor Swift record by any means, but I think Liz is amazing. Um, you know, there like, there's right. things that I, I feel like have penetrated my, my mom fog <laughs> 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 better than others, you know. Um, and most of just people who are doing amazing work in the world with their music. Like those are the, really the people that I feel like I've tried to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, because in the time that you were not recording, I mean, people have had careers that began and ended. I mean, you know, that's oh, the span yeah. of a career.
1: Oh yeah, well, and you know, it's kind of a big joke at this moment in my strategy team world of this launch because the thing that's really changed in eight years is Spotify. Right. And you know, eight years ago, a you could still sell records, you could still sell CDs at a merch table. Merch was still a huge, you know music merch was still a huge part of, of, um, an income stream. Um, and that, you know, everyone was focused on downloads, um, paid downloads. And now, you know, eight years later, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame. It's like music business 8.0 or something.
0: Right. Um, and
1: I, in Spotify, you know, at the time I was like, Oh, I didn't even really understand what that is. I mean, I understood what it was, but I just kind of didn't care eight years ago. And I wish I cared more in the eight years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Cause it's like it's
1: like starting from nothing, you know. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. <laughs> like, uh, but
2: it just
1: is what it is, you know. It's like, okay, well, let's let's see what we can do. You know, it's like let's set some goals and make sure people know I have a Spotify. <laughs> like, you know, I have my fans are like, Joe, Spotify! I didn't know." <laughs> like,
0: oh god, that's
1: so sad.
2: <laughs> I'm in total oh, no.
0: mess. so well. And- well, and then by the time that you figure out what it is, it becomes something else. Right, right, exactly, you know, exactly. I mean –
1: Well, and, and with Spotify now, it's like how do you – you know, I've spent the last few years just asking – I just read the book Are You My Mother to my son uh, last night before bedtime. And I feel like I have been the little bird asking everyone who might have any opinion or knowledge, how do you monetize now? Like, yeah. I just keep asking, how, do you, how, how are you monetizing? Like, <laughs> I've been kind of a broken record for the past two years because it's a, it's just a whole different world.
0: It is. And, and things change so rapidly. And um, it's weird to think that, you know, merch doesn't really pay the bills anymore. Right. Unless your merch is really, really
1: unique and kind of other. That isn't music merch. Right. like right. It's like a book or T-shirts or like I think there are people who are doing much well, but most of them have other things that they sell that aren't
0: actually music. That's true. I, I mean, I could see, for example, um, your essays on on motherhood, which you have, you know, and that's a great way to stay in touch with your fans. What a remarkable book that could be.
2: Mm, thank you,
1: and there's a book I'm writing. I'm, I'm. Those are becoming a book as we speak. So that that's in oh. the that's in the making. Like I'm well, sure. I'm working on finishing a book. Um. So and that you know that's also been, gosh, like the and thank you for saying that because that's really affirming to me. As <laughs> weird as that may sound, that really means a lot to me. Um, the getting kind of encouraged in that space of of my creative output because it's such a new thing for me. Um, but that's really the place that flourished when I didn't have time to write songs, um, was I would be like up in a chair, like with a kid who was sleeping on me, but wouldn't go to his crib. And I would type on my phone and I would type an essay, you know, just sit in the middle of the night and I would write an essay about motherhood or about, you know, body, you know, body image or shame or, you know, and I started to try to just tell the truth on the internet because I feel like we do ourselves a disservice by just putting out the shiny version of everything. Um, And so that whole thing was a kind of a a, a beautiful accident um, that that grew into a larger creative outlet for me. I never, I wasn't like aiming for that and it just happened and, and kind of created its its own audience, which was really
0: neat to see. Were you really sort of heartened by the reaction that you got from the world at large to your, to your essays? Oh
1: my gosh. Yes. Well, because
0: motherhood, and especially in the early years is a very lonely
1: time. You know, it's just, it's hard to connect with people. If you had friends who don't have babies, they sort of maybe come around to hold the kid every now and then, but for the most part, like they have no idea how to interact with you anymore. Like, so so it's just kind of a lonely time and 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 you know i hate to admit that like social media gave me an encouragement but i think it really did but more than anything it was just the idea that my I, that my thoughts and my my writing my articulations my truth was resonating with other people and helping them feel less alone which is always my goal you know that was, that's always my goal when i write a song um when i tell a story from stage and now when I write an essay, it's like how can I reach that person who's on the other side of these words and help them know that like as humans we have so much in common and we can connect and, and that they're okay, that they're not they're not the only person who feels these things. And so it kind of the way that the essays kind of made room in the world and that people responded. And then the amazing thing was that when people started doing their own truth booking, like that's what I called it, you know, but they, they would tag me and then they would tell their own truth in the internet space. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) There's other people who are risking vulnerability and risking putting themselves out in a not beautiful, shiny kind of highlight reel way. And they're, they're, they're risking, they're being so brave to tell the truth about their experience. Um, in hopes that other people don't feel alone, and I think we are so in desperate need of that right now as a culture.
0: So, so it was very heartening. And can you talk a little bit about what you were saying before about body shaming and how you mentioned Lizzo before, and and people have criticized her and praised her. Um, yeah. And I and I and I'm very quizzical at the criticism. <laughs> I don't really understand like people's <laughs> problem with Lizzo, but. Um, I don't know what that comes from if that just comes from this idea of what we think someone has to look like and you know and I, I interviewed Alison Moyer years ago and mm-hmm. she was in her mid-50s and she was just so not happy with the way that women um, are being looked at as you know older quote-unquote in their 50s um, <laughs> in musicians And and I wonder for you do you think about that when you step on the stage do you think about like People are looking at me, and, and I'm sure you've always thought that, but um, where are you with all that stuff now? Because it's become, thankfully, it's a topic people are talking about.
1: Yeah, thankfully, indeed. You know, it's been so long overdue. I think um, in kind of a, a what 30,000 feet view, right? Like kind of a, an sure. overhead view um, of where we are, it seems like we... I love that it's more prevalent in the conversation. I, you know, <laughs> someone like Lizzo challenges the, the socio norms, you know, like um, she is, especially when it comes to, to gender, you know, bias and you know she steps out and she speaks her mind and she wears what she wants and she has this beautiful curvy body. And, you know, our culture has told us that we're supposed to feel shame about that that for women, the idea was that we should get smaller and smaller. You know, the the diet industry alone is just this huge, like if you think about the amount of money that women and some men pay on the diet industry yearly, it's billions of dollars. If we could turn that around to not like Allowing women to feel that they're shameful if they're not small, if they don't disappear enough, <laughs> if they don't take up less space in the world. And you can imagine what we could do as a culture, as a as a body of people, if we turned those dollars around for action or for you know humanitarian aid or refugee support or you know and it, I mean any number of of things you know that are issues in our culture. I think that. Um, it's so sad and yet i know that we've come so far you know 25 years ago uh next week actually i checked into a eating disorder treatment facility at age 20 and i almost died i was in my junior year of college and um it set me on a path of awareness that i think a lot of people don't have around those issues um i am not uh Fixed, I don't know that I ever needed fixing, but I definitely still feel like there are mindsets that I'm prone to um that are dangerous or just unhealthy when it comes to body and um and I have a pretty um short i have a pretty hair trigger when I can kind of feel myself getting into those kind of mental gymnastics um but it's been difficult to be a woman in the spotlight in my own small way as a songwriter and a performer all of these years and you know you think about like i could lay my body out in album covers <laughs> like or photos from <laughs> age 20 until 25 years you know it's like oh my word that's just wow um you know i made a mistake artistically in a very personal way you know 10 years ago what year is It is 2020 no 12 years ago Right when my record orchid came out, I had just lost over a hundred pounds. It was the first time that I had ever approached body and weight loss stuff in a healthful way. Um, so I was, it was a real milestone for me in just my healing and my emotional healing. Like I hadn't beaten myself up or starved myself. Like I just tried to feel better in my body by making different choices. And, um, but I made a really critical mistake for myself, which was that I allowed my body to be the lead story of that record and that whole time and you know the biggest loser came and and filmed me and um because i wrote this song for the food bank um in oklahoma and they were doing this pound for pound challenge thing where they gave money to feed america and so i allowed my body to be the lead story i allowed it to be about my outsides when really the story was my insides and there were still places in my insides that needed some help honestly and needed some healing from trauma and needed some different messaging because my inner voice was really not very kind. Um, and so, so where I stand today as a postpartum, you know, two babies later, um, artists, you know, is it easy to get up in front of people? It is easy, but there are parts of it that feel vulnerable that are like, Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a heavyset woman and I'm going to stand here, but I'm going to dare to stand here and take up as much space as I need because I, I deserve, to be here i'm enough i'm not too much i'm enough you know and this new record has a song that's just really all about that it's called no more living small um and so i don't know if that gets at what you really were looking for in an answer but those are kind of my thoughts from like the thirty thousand feet view of like where we are as a culture and yes we're doing huge strides we have a long way to go um we need a whole lot less trolls just in general (laughs) in in the internet the comment section um, and we need to raise a different generation of girls, right? Like I think about my daughter, Beatrice, she has more confidence in her left pinky than I think I have ever had in my whole life. <laughs> um, and the home life, like, she just will do what she wants. You know, she's like, well, I'm going to wear this because. I look good in this, mom. You know, and it's like seven different patterns. Like it's like I'm like, wow, that is really fashion forward or something, sis. You know. uh, But I think about like, okay, there's only so much that I can do to kind of like manage my own mental gymnastics, and I'm continuing to work on those parts of myself. But but I do have this really amazing privilege of getting to help raise a girl in America and help kind of control the narrative of what she hears about her body from a mom, what, you know, what she sees a mom do with her body. You know, like I grew up in a world where our moms were constantly worried about their weight and verbally so, picking themselves apart, you know, standing at the mirror. And I, my daughter doesn't hear me talk about weight. We don't talk about her body in terms of weight. We talk about Body parts, you know, (laughs) like that's your elbow. We talk about foods as being healthy and, you know, what's going to fuel your engine good and what's not, you know, (laughs) like, but no foods are off limits. Like, I think about the messages that I'm giving her that I never got. And I know that those, that is a tiny, tiny ripple in a giant tumultuous ocean, but I know that it's making a difference. And I know a lot of other moms who are striving to be on that same that same school of thought. You know, I think that the whole body shame thing, this is the last thing I say, I'm going to say, I know I've talked a bit about this probably more than you anticipated, but um, body shame and eating disordered thinking and um, diet culture and that kind of stuff. I, I feel like as a mom, I stand at the door of my house and I'm holding back a train of stuff that's just not coming through like of just generational stuff that we as Americans have accepted and and, and as a you know when I think about personally with my family like so I'm holding a train back and saying no you know it's not going to happen like you know that moment in with Gandalf and um, when he's on the bridge and he has to hold his staff out and he's like you shall not pass
2: yeah. Like, yeah. that's
1: me and the train of generational body bs for my daughter like, and there are a lot of us, I know because of my mom friends who are like, no, mm, no, we're just super not doing it like that. Like we're, I'm out on that, you know, um, we're gonna, we're gonna find a different way and we don't always know what the way is, you know, it's like, cause we haven't been modeled away, but we're trying to carve a new path for the girls of the future, for the women and the moms of the future who can hopefully live in a different world than we did when it comes to those things.
0: Yeah. And when, and when Beatrice says, I, I'm not aware of this, I don't really care what anyone thinks. I look good in it. I feel good in it. Is that also instructive for you in many ways? Is she teaching you like, Oh yeah. Uh, who cares what people think.
1: Is she ever, she has been my greatest teacher. I mean, you know, my, my son as well. And my kids are easily my, my greatest teachers in all my life. You know, just the way that, I see because there's things you don't know are in you until you have a kid and you begin to pass it down to them like you find things coming out of your mouth and you're like whoa that's super not actually what I believe but somewhere in me I evidently still believe that from a long time ago and then you have to like stop and be like oh no I need to check that for a minute like no okay no actually that's not how we're going to do this. We're going to do it a different way. Let's try this way. Let's try a way that's kind, or Let's try a way where my kid feels like they know who they are and not that they're ashamed or made to be smaller.
2: You know, I said in a,
1: um, I was at a, a working mom uh, event this weekend, this past weekend, and um, with a bunch of moms and we were talking about our our kids and um, and one of them was talking about the challenges of parenting and trying to parent differently than she was parented and, um, and how like, you know, people are like, no, you don't get to, don't talk back to me or you things that we, we hear ourselves say that maybe our parents said. And I was like, you know, that is a way to create a voiceless, another voiceless generation of women, you know, (laughs) is to let them know that they don't have a say in their life. (laughs) They don't have a say in what they wear or how they express themselves or, You know, it's like you think about the ways that we empower someone to have a voice and they're very tiny. Like we think about these big, huge impacts we can have, but it really starts in very small ways. And so Beatrice has taught me, like, I am definitely a more confident woman because I'm her mom.
0: It's incredible to think that if if Beatrice had never been on this planet, that part of you never would have gotten informed in that way. It's remarkable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. She was meant to be, I was meant to get to be her mom. Right. She's, it's a gift to get to be her mom. And absolutely. Like she, our paths were supposed to cross this way, you know? Um. And she's a firecracker man. She'll change the world. She'll run something. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She'll, run something. Um, She'll run something. I'm curious, you know, now that you have sort of, you know, gotten over that hurdle of who am I and, and what is my music going to sound like post um post motherhood now that i'm a mom um do you feel now that the sky is the limit do you feel you can do anything now
1: i do absolutely like i don't feel confined and you know that's that's part of what stepping away for 8 years will give you is i was not able to be in the game of the business you know, and I wasn't able to strategize my next move because I didn't have any more moves at that time. It was like, "No, I don't have any irons in the fire. There's nobody waiting for my call i'm I'm not waiting for anybody to call. <laughs> I'm just here, and everybody's like, "Wow, she's just doing the mom thing, you know, and the people go silent pretty quick, you know <laughs> like yeah. um, and so i but I think that that is um." that's definitely one of the things, the gifts of it is that now I'm putting this record out and I'm just doing it my way. I'm taking the parts of it that I think will serve my goals. I'm ignoring the parts that I don't have any desire to to do anymore. You know, it's like, I feel like I used to go on a circuit of conferences where I would just you know, put myself out there, full clients, or you know, trying to like constantly spend money to be in front of all the right people. And I think the the gift of of being away from it is like, oh, you know, the doors are going to open where they're supposed to. And if they're not, then they're not supposed to. And I actually don't have to kill myself to do those things. Like, I think the art is going to make room for itself. And And am I gonna be Beyonce? No, no. I never really was ever destined to be Beyonce. Like that's not who that's not the career that was mine. But this beautiful thing where like I know that what I do touches people, like I know it moves them and it makes them feel less alone. And that that's enough for me.
0: And symbolically, the album being being called Casey Clifford is like you reclaiming yourself and reintroducing yourself in this new iteration.
1: Absolutely. It's the most me thing I've ever done. And I, I we were in the studio, it was like the last day and somebody, one of the players said, you know, because we recorded live, like old school style. And um, <clears throat> one of the players was like, what are you going to call it, Casey? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about self-titling. And I even remember the moment where I felt like I had to ask permission. Like I looked at my producer, I was like, do you think that's okay? And he was like, yeah like I don't yeah like I don't know what you get to decide Casey you know and I don't think um because there just was not one song title that felt like yes that's it or there wasn't one lyric that encompassed encompassed the whole thing and um I just felt like it was kind of part about the part about just feeling unapologetic it was like oh at some point as I went through the next months of you know finishing the album and mixing and it was like yeah this is definitely called Casey Clifford this is definitely self-titled and I guess seven records in I'm allowed to do that and I actually don't have to be no one has to give me permission you
0: know but <laughs> well um, I mean Peter Gabriel uh, named his albums Peter Gabriel like five times so
1: <laughs> Did he really? I don't yeah. think I knew that. My husband probably knows that he's such a, a music geek but oh, that's funny. That's yeah, there's hilarious. a couple of uh,
0: there's a couple of Peter Gabriel records called Peter Gabriel
1: do you just know because you have like the album cover? Like, you know which one you're listening
0: to in your yeah, right. you know, like, the, Oh, the one where he's melting or the one where he's the thing? Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's, <laughs> there's that. That's uh, awesome. Casey, I, I have always known that you're a, a wonderful musician, and it's no surprise to me that you're a wonderful mother as well. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I'm so excited that we had this chat. I've, I've followed your career from the beginning, and I've... Um, You know, hearing the new stuff and having you back and and better than ever is just it's just remarkable and it's such a gift. And I and congratulations to you on everything. Thank you. And thank you for for sticking around
1: and and keeping your ear to the ground for what my next thing was. It really meant a lot to be included in your podcast and
0: just just wow, thank you. Well, hopefully you'll come back on again.
1: (laughs) I would love it.
0: Aw, oh, I love Casey Clifford. What a nice conversation with a really nice person. Keep informed about what's going on with Casey. Her album is out February 7th. It's called Casey Clifford. Go buy it. It's a, a great gift for you uh, or someone you love, or or for you and someone you love. Buy two copies. Uh, CaseyClifford.com. Go to her website. Find out what's going on with her tour dates, news. She writes essays. And those essays are fabulous. They're a great way for her to kind of keep in touch with her fans and uh, let them know what's going on with her emotionally, uh, what she's up to, where she's at, all that stuff. She's one of those artists that's very generous. She really lets you in. So uh, follow her and uh, be a part of the Casey Clifford experience. You will be richer for it. Be a part of the Alex Green experience. Uh, Will you be richer for it? Well, probably not. Uh, But you'll be uh, altered. (laughs) You'll be disturbed. AlexGreenOnline.com. Go there. See what's going on with me. There's some stuff. That's all I'm going to say. There's some stuff happening. Stay tuned. Watch that space uh, because there will be some things. Okay? That's all I'm allowed to say. I'm sworn to keep it at there will be things. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that makes you the happiest or the most comfortable uh, or makes you feel the most safe. Subscribe for free. Leave us a rating. Tell all your friends. Blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes. Follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or uh, what? Yeah, email me the old-fashioned way. Editor at com. Okay? All right. Uh, let's close things off with a little bit more of Casey Clifford. Taken from the new album, this is called Salt. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
2: Peace, may you know well.